Before we get to the show today, I want to take a moment to announce that beginning next weekend, the doc says we'll be moving to a new home, the Chair Shot Radio Network. It has been a wonderful six years here on LOP Radio, and I want to thank everyone who ever tuned in to this show while also encouraging listeners to follow the doc says on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Thechairshot.com is a newer site that has been built around podcast-based content. I'm always looking for new challenges in my life, and the Chair Shot has offered me a unique opportunity. The doc says will retain its Sunday air date and time. I'll update you and answer any questions you may have on social media next week about this matter at the doc LOP. Thanks, and let's get on with the show. I am your host, the Doc Chat Matthews, LordsofPain.net. Wherever you may be listening, Doc says, Doc says. Uh, this is just what the Doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the Mania era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all. This is a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania era, the book of sports entertainment and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net. Doc says. Hello and welcome to The Doc Says on LOP Radio. I am your host, The Doc Chad Matthews, author of the WrestleMania era book series and The Doctor's Orders on LordsOfPain.net. Wherever you may be listening, thank you for making me a part of your day. First things first, for those of you tuning in, primarily for the quick-hitting, last-minute WWE Money in the Bank preview The first half of the program will be all for you. Then in the second half, I'll be previewing AEW Double or Nothing, which airs next Saturday, and I certainly didn't want to leave it out. Money in the Bank, certainly giving off a big five pay-per-view vibe again this year. Annually, this show feels more important than Survivor Series to me, and some of that stems from the Money in the Bank contracts that yield new top champions at a higher rate than Royal Rumble this decade. But a lot of that aura comes from the strength of the top singles match, in this case Rollins versus Styles, in a borderline dream match. Call it a daydream match. It follows in the footsteps of Styles and Cena and Rollins and Reigns and Cena and Punk and matches of that sort. These kind of matches are the ones that they have said in the past, quote-unquote, could headline a WrestleMania. Certainly could have headlined SummerSlam as well. So... You know, some big stuff. Rollins versus Styles is a big deal. It's at the top of this card. I hope it gets the main event slot. But let's start this preview with the Money in the Bank matches themselves, particularly the women's version. To me, this has 13-minute mess written all over it, thanks to the likes of Dana, Mandy, Alexa, and Carmella being involved. No disrespect to any of them. But Money in the Bank is a stunt brawl predicated on the success of its spot design and execution. Ember Moon, Naomi, and Bailey can provide the juice for this experience, while Natty will play the classic Finley role from the early Money in the Bank days, holding ladders and keeping the group moving the match swiftly across its runtime. But I'm curious to see how the other women do in this environment. Some of them are obviously veterans of it, but none of them really strike me as the types that would thrive in this environment. Alexa, I think, has the ability to hit her spots well 
and as she proved last year, she's great at playing the heel who wins it. But WWE books these types of matches outstandingly well, so it'll likely earn that third star with relative ease like the original did in 2017, but they'll have massively outkicked their coverage if they perform on par with last year's, which I thought was superior to the men's version that main evented the show in 2018. I think it's time for a babyface win in women's Money in the Bank history, so I'm picking Bailey, who I think would be rejuvenated as a single star by holding the briefcase for perhaps a lengthy period of time that might give her a boost. Sticking with the first half of the women's double-header main event here, if you will, Becky Lynch, I believe, will lose one of her titles, and I think they could set it up to where either one of her opponents picks up a victory. But I don't think Lacey Evans as champion sends the right message after the women just headlined WrestleMania 35. She could blow expectations out of the water tonight, but if she did so with her performance in the ring, then it would still just be a major step toward her being an acceptable champion. We don't need another gender situation where someone with no clout holds a top prize because it devalues that prize and the process to win it. And that process to win it is a key storytelling device in any pro wrestling outfit. WWE's making some interesting creative decisions these days. I wish they would just get back to basics of telling good stories. I would like to see Lynch defeat Evans, but perhaps then have Evans or her next opponent, or the next opponent for Lynch on Raw, injure Becky and set up Charlotte to take the SmackDown women's title later on or immediately after, depending upon how they book the show overall. The men's undercard matches are rock solid on this show, at least on paper. That begins for me with Samoa Joe's rematch with Rey Mysterio. I said on the Mania preview six weeks ago that their match felt like something that would promise one thing on paper, but wouldn't get the time to deliver in reality. At Money in the Bank, that opportunity to maximize minutes that was not there at WrestleMania should be there despite Money in the Bank itself being a pretty stacked card, probably destined to push beyond four hours in its own right. Mysterio and Joe has a little bit of Styles Rollins in it. Two great workers of different generations who have been influential in their own ways, clashing for a title in WWE. I'd love to see it open the show, get about 14 minutes of bell-to-bell time, and leave us with a memory. Leave us with the memory that would perhaps contend for overall mid-card match of the year. I think it has that potential. Mysterio has not yet translated his TV match exploits to pay-per-view yet since he came back, and this is his best chance yet to do it. Joe last lived up to his reputation on pay-per-view roughly eight months ago when he was wrapping up the feud over the WWE title with AJ Styles. So both are due to have a really great pay-per-view match So give them a chance, WWE. I think we'd all like to see them hit their higher mark. I care very little about Roman Reigns versus Elias, so let's hope that either it doesn't overstay its welcome or that Elias and Roman have good chemistry and we get a pleasant surprise out of it. I expected to feel similarly about Miz versus Shane too, but the cage match stipulation, which has for roughly a decade disappointed me in just about every single iteration in WWE because they've been so they've been so tame it actually seems to have a shot at breaking free from that monotony and oddly that's because of Shane I say oddly because 
I feel like I need to praise Shane here. I have a crazy dislike of Shane being so prominent these days. I have not enjoyed his comeback. I have often enjoyed his matches, but the build-up leading to them featuring a heavy dose of Shane on my TV is just so outdated to me that I don't know that it's worth the trade-off. The match quality that he's had at times has been great, but I don't know that it's worth the trade-off of having him around so much. That said, he's a daredevil at heart, and the cage match that I know and love historically is either heavy on stunts or brutal as hell in support of a very personal story told. I thought that they displayed solid chemistry, did he and The Miz, in their WrestleMania match, so I'm actually looking forward to seeing Miz perhaps give Shane a measure of comeuppance, and I hope it's stunt heavy along the way, because otherwise the gimmick just continues to dumb down its historical reputation as a feud closer and rivalry enhancer. Props quickly to the cruiserweights before we start getting into some of the main matches. I assume that the cruiserweights will be pre-showed as usual. Tony Nese versus Aria Davari. I'm not that high on the current direction here for 205 Live. Davari was defined as lesser for so long that I think he could have used another six months of building him up to this challenge for the strap. And frankly, that's always been 205's MO, so I'm not particularly fond of them getting so so much away from that. But oh well. Should be a solid match, but it would surprise me if it lived up to the standard set by Murphy's title defenses earlier this year and late last year. Back to the other half of the women's main event. It's the next installment of Charlotte versus Becky. Some are tired of it. I'm not really. I think it makes sense to do this match in story. Plus, we've seen them have a feature-length match on pay-per-view approximately one time. One time. All of their work together felt very mid-cardish until Evolution last year, when they had the 2018 match of the year in WWE proper. I do think that this needs to be it for a while, though, and that it probably will be, presuming that Flair wins back the title. But I'm, I'm up for seeing them have another chance to tear the house down. If it's more of a story-driven affair, uh, borrowing from the storyline suggestion that I made earlier about Evans or Becky's next Raw women's title opponent injuring her ahead of this match, then keep it short and sweet. But if you want to do this one first, perhaps, and you reverse that scenario where it's actually Evans who wins the title, not a fan of that, but if that's the case, then give Becky and Charlotte 20 minutes and let them really tear the house down. I think that one thing we're lacking this year thus far is a truly great women's title match. I think we've seen some very good ones, but I don't think we've seen a great one yet. And this opportunity's there because they've got great chemistry, great history. All the makings are there. If it ends up on a spot on the car that might allow the crowd to engage it more, I think that would certainly help. I think Becky's lost a little bit of momentum, and I'd like to see this show be a night where she gets a lot of it back. Speaking less of the historical momentum, the weight of her accomplishment at WrestleMania 35 is going to stand on its own for years. But I'm talking about the momentum that she had leading up to, say, Royal Rumble, when she just had the crowd eating out of the palm of her hand. She doesn't have that right now. I would love to see her have the chance to start building that back. As for the top three matches, let's start with KO versus Kofi for the WWE title. I think on paper it's a four-star match waiting to happen. I supported the KO heel turn on a recent podcast, and I stand by it. He's a great heel. Is he the right guy to lead the charge on SmackDown for the time being? Maybe. 
remember something, Bully Heel KO as champion was short-lived in 2016-17 on Raw while he was playing buddy cop with Jericho. So we've not really seen the full-on NXT Kevin Owens unleashed in WWE proper at the top of the card. It would strike me as odd, the timing of such a title change, but it struck me as potentially ingenious how they rather quietly moved Daniel Bryan to the back burner. It didn't make sense to me to overly devalue Bryan with a series of high-profile title match losses to Kofi, because he's still, in my opinion, the best thing going today. The iron that is Kofi is still hot, so sticking with him now makes sense. But let Brian's character breathe a little bit, then come back to the planet's champion later, when another babyface worthy of his awesomeness emerges from the pack, maybe in uh, late 2019 or in preparation for Mania Season 2020. KO, in his current spot, works no matter which way they go. Either that be still in the Kofi direction or in the heel champ direction again. I think this storyline has legs between Kofi and and, and KO, and a great match will prove it worthy of future pay-per-view rematches. I think Kingston losing right now would be a mistake. The big moment is over, but he deserves the chance to carry the show for a bit longer, and I want to see how much he grows into the role of being the top star. I think there is lots of potential with him holding the title for the time being. I also think that this could steal the show. Rollins versus Styles, if it does headline, runs the risk of getting a tired crowd reacting to it, whereas KO versus Kofi probably is going to benefit from the similar kind of card placement that so well benefited the match between Bryan and Kofi at WrestleMania. I dislike that these types of dynamics exist in WWE today, but they are hard to escape. Crowds get tired because the shows are too damn long, and matches like Rollins Styles suffer from exhausted audiences. It is what it is, and I think it's our responsibility as an organization, a community, to be critically cognizant of that. On paper, nothing on this card should be able to challenge Rollins versus Styles for match of the night, match of the month, or on the short list for match of the year. But in reality, KO versus Kofi could do it. The men's money in the bank? I've talked to some learned colleagues that believe we'll see a cash-in from whoever wins, but we've seen that in two of the last three years, and three times overall in the pay-per-view's nine-year history. 33% of the time already? That makes it seem unlikely to me that we're going to get 40% over 10 years. To be honest, though, I don't know what does seem like a likely outcome. Drew McIntyre stands out to me as the favorite, But Baron Corbin retired Kurt Angle at WrestleMania, while McIntyre got 2006 Cena'd by Roman Reigns. That said, repeat Money in the Bank winners are scarce across the entire history of the gimmick, and Corbin won it in 2017. He doesn't strike me as a repeater, but maybe Braun Strowman does? Uh, no, no, I doubt it. Strowman needs to find a new role, a revised way to remain relevant. I don't think that trying to repeat a push with him at the top is the best call right now. I suppose Orton could win it again. His last title shot was two years ago, and he has a history with Kofi referenced on WWE TV as soon as about two months ago. I'm not buying that either, though. Ricochet, Balor, Andrade, and Ali, they all fall into a comparable category to me. All are clearly there to provide the oomph necessary to make Money in the Bank great this year. 
And I think they should be the difference makers that turned 2019s into one of the more memorable men's money in the bank ladder matches in recent history. But can any of them win? Both Balor and Andrade are dark horse picks for me. In fact, if I were booking, I'd actually go with Andrade. He's so good that he could get hot in a hurry with a good push and a you know a good consistent push. And the Money in the Bank briefcase carries weight. He's never going to be any more ready than right now to get that top-level push. So I say go for it with Andrade. I think my pick, though, is going to be McIntyre. D-Mac is, one of the, is really one of the more intriguing top-level prospects, in my mind, in WWE right now. He's more than competent on the mic. He regularly takes boring verbal material and makes it above average with his intense delivery. And he's the right sustained push away from being one of the most consistent top 10 level guys in the company over the next five years. As for Rollins versus Styles, I hope it main events because of the perception that still is associated with main eventing. And I think they deserve that. And I think this match is worthy of that. And I think perception would hurt it if it did not main event, frankly. I hope that the crowd isn't exhausted by the time that they do main event, though. And I hope that it challenges for match of the year, or at least finishes in such a way that sets up a future match of the year candidate, because that's what the expectation is when you see their names on paper in a universal title match and a main event, potentially. I have very high hopes, but my expectations are somewhat tempered by A, a natural tendency to temper expectations in this day and age of WWE, B, because the hype has been fairly mundane and not of the sort that I think would have been necessary to get these characters peaking toward this daydream match, as I called it two weeks ago. C, because longer pay-per-views have so rarely cultivated an environment ripe for a main event, getting the kind of crowd reaction that helps motivate the wrestlers in the ring while keeping the crowd more engaged at home and live. And, And D... Uh, because creative misfires with the shakeup and the wild card thing have naturally shifted focus away from the characters trying to build to their big matches on this show. Beyond that, I'm not sure anything is really capable of disengaging me from Styles versus Rollins. It's the match I've most wanted to see in WWE beyond the Shield triple threat in a bigger setting like SummerSlam or Mania over the past five years. Ideally, I'd like to see them go into this rather unrestricted. Um, I want to see them tell a story that reflects their history together, absolutely, perhaps emphasizing that Rollins has studied and knows the playbook of Styles so very well, as exemplified by, say, his countering of AJ's offense for much of the first third of the runtime, followed by Styles cunningly adapting to someone he's not as familiar with because Styles is the older veteran wrestler. Rollins is the guy that studied Styles, that was inspired by Styles. So that dichotomy, I'd love to see that play out. But all the while, I don't want it to be a slower-paced affair. This is a match that represents the modern era of wrestling, and I'd like to see a pace and match structure that takes that into account. So Ambrose versus Rollins at TLC 2018, this cannot be. Please, yes, tell us a story and be cerebral but not overly so, because the hype on TV hasn't successfully built to something like that yet. 
too much focus on a body part will weaken critical reception, in my opinion. And I'd like to see them go all in on trying to maximize what the more engaged, analytical wrestling fan likely wants out of this experience. I'd like to see Rollins win, but in a way that continues the narrative between them in some way, preferably not on account of interference from someone else. Give us a clean win, even if it's by slick pinning combination. For instance, I could see a similar finish to the 2005 backlash match between Chris Jericho and Shelton Benjamin when Shelton countered the walls by flipping Y2J over with his leg strength. So keep the decisive victory for well down the road is my point. Uh, All in all, though, this should be a fantastic match. I'm really looking forward to it, and quite frankly, I think this is going to be a pretty damn good card. Oh, apparently Sami Zayn is now in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Fair enough. Good deal. Now, let's switch gears to the AEW Double or Nothing card. I'm pretty pumped up about this show, honestly. Mainly, I'm excited because I want to know what's next for the promotion. So I think the card looks very good, but the main thing I'm hoping we get beyond great wrestling matches is a firm commitment to making me want to watch AEW beyond this event. They can accomplish that by bringing back CM Punk, as suggested on the Sunday conversation with Chairshot podcast hosts Ray Cash and Kyle Moores a few weeks back. They can accomplish that with the quick return to pro wrestling of John Moxley, who really has the potential to be an anchor for fans like myself, who really liked Dean Ambrose in WWE and felt that he had a few bursts of awesome that only a select number of wrestlers could equal this decade. And yet... He was underutilized as a top-level talent. There's a lot of room for Moxley to grow still as a performer, and he's young enough to become one of the pinnacle stars of a new promotion like AEW, which can also gain my firm commitment to watching them by doing some excellent top-to-bottom storytelling that establishes the initial parts of the fictional universe of the promotion's characters at Double or Nothing. I want to see these personalities interacting within a larger narrative with many points of connection. I need something of substance, though. I figure I'll get substance from the family feud between Dustin and Cody, and I admittedly loved their setup pair of video packages on Road to Double or Nothing, which is worth checking out, by the way, in the series in its entirety, given how short the cumulative runtime is. But the kind of substance of which I speak actually refers to the kind of big-picture storytelling that both satisfies in its intent during the here and now and piques interest for the next step, too. Marvel did that incredibly well with its cinematic universe building 23 films up to Endgame. Best-case scenario for me for, for AEW is New Japan booking style in terms of the emphasis it places on winning and setting up unique ways to constantly keep a number of legit contenders on the ready for a challenge against a champion that unquestionably belongs in his spot, leading the charge because there's no one better to do it, but also combining that New Japan booking style, sporting-ish type approach with the character world-building that has served both cinema and television so well in recent years. That's best case. 
It's hard not to imagine this being a memorable wrestling show in general, though. Omega versus Jericho is a great rivalry beyond the WWE bubble, having already elevated the Wrestle Kingdom franchise, the peak career of Omega, and the current value of Chris Jericho. Frankly, no character in wrestling right now is more engaging to me than Jericho's on Double or Nothing's YouTube build. He's such an ass. He has tapped into the irritation regarding past stars being the be-all, end-all, who the young guys can never replace and who has the drawing power and likes to flaunt his at least perceiving uh, perceived fiscal impact. It, it's brilliant, I think. I, I look for this match to heat up Omega's role in the company, though. What's it going to be? What's Omega's role going to be? He wants to change the world. He's been such a pillar of the non-WWE peak these past two years for pro wrestling, but he's been a fairly background player on these hype videos. It feels like it's all reputation with him right now, and that he needs to make a splash heading into the summer. Whatever the plan for Omega versus Jericho, it surely includes Kenny being one of the two primary talking points coming out of this show, right? This is a different ball game, isn't it? Am I misreading the situation to think that AEW is a potential game change for game changer for, for wrestling in North America? I think timing is perfect for another big time competition. Long way to go until then, but this is the type of big impression that needs to be made Saturday night, and you've got to think that Kenny Omega is going to be a big part of that. Dustin versus Cody will be the emotional core of this show. It's giving me some Michaels versus Flair vibes with the sentimentality about it, and at the same time, it's a striking sort of composition thus far. It's hitting the right chords with me as an appreciator of the art of pro wrestling, from its pre-match promos, which were fantastic, to its on-night execution and presentation. The Rhodes brothers are going to relish this opportunity to finally tell the story that they've been teased as having the ability to tell on the WWE stage in the past off and on for years, and with far less authenticity in New York than Atlanta, I might add. So the motivation for these guys is going to be there. This might end up being one of those matches that doesn't steal the show because it's better, but because instead it resonates with more audience members. At All In, Omega vs. Pentagon, in my opinion, was the best match on that show. But there's no question that the story that defined that show was Cody defeating Nick Aldis to become NWA World Champion. At Double or Nothing, it's almost a safe prediction that Cody vs. Dustin will do the same. The tag team match for the AAA tag titles between the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros certainly has to get some mention here too in the candidate list for most memorable of the night. I've seen a lot of Penta and Phoenix in Lucha Underground, but the Bucks are a fairly novel act to my fandom, which is kind of odd, right? I mean, for some reason, I've just not felt compelled to seek them out. But interestingly, the Golden Foursome are all positioned to take top honors on this show, with the Bucks' match with, Lucha, with the Lucha Bros a strong contender to be regarded as the best on the show by modern standards, considering that we're likely to get uh, something fairly wild by all accounts. So you've got... Um, the Young Bucks are greatly positioned to steal the show. Cody is well positioned to have that big emotional core center part, centerpiece of the show. Kenny Omega is going to be in the main event with an opportunity to prove that he is the show. 
So the, that core force of them right there, they seem like they're well positioned to be the, the primary talking points coming out. So it'll be interesting to see how they balance that because we're talking about a group of guys who this is their baby um, and there's going to be a natural tendency because of that to come out of this first show with the spotlight squarely on them. And maybe it should be. But if you want to make a splash and you want to draw in some interest beyond the, call it couple hundred thousand people who are really, I think, the core makeup of the audience that's really bloodthirsty for this promotion's existence, then I think you got to bring in someone like a CM Punk or a Dean Ambrose. And then it's going to be interesting to see who really is the biggest talking point coming out and if this, this core foursome's okay with it not being any one of them. Ego is going to be a, a part of being a business owner. You you want to think that uh, that your ideas and your presence in the in the primary spotlights are going to be the biggest factors in the success of this endeavor. But I think that maybe they do know that it's not going to be that simple. I think that they surely must know that, even though the strength of their own drawing power is what's allowed them to sell this show out. It's what allowed them to sell out all in. It's what's allowed them to create such a buzz but they got to keep that buzz going so a strategic plan in mind hopefully they have it well thought out and prepared to execute it well and to be flexible with it to not get too fixed and finite and exactly what they want to do but certainly not to pull a Vince McMahon and change everything last second in terms of panic or just simply um, being of the mind of a Tasmanian devil and not being able to focus long enough to get anything consistently done. So, if Adam Page, switching gears to the card again, if his match with Pac gets the minutes to compete with the top three just mentioned, then, dude, this show could become legendary for its top-end quality. Pac versus Hangman, though, feels like a match that will begin slowly and develop its story steadily across the runtime, almost like Jericho versus Omega by my estimation will too, but it would seem that one would get main event time to do that and then hit its peak critical heights, whereas the other feels like it get, it's going to get mid-card minutes and wind up in a three and a half star strong second or third match on the show kind of territory. You know, it's, it's actually kind of hard doing a preview for an AEW show it's going to be interesting to hear what other people have to say when I listen to their previews of course, the, across the course of this week because I think it's tough to do a preview because we really don't know what AEW is yet, you know? I'm so dialed into WWE lore that it's easy for me to create layers of context around the basic story that WWE is trying to sell and tell. But w, WWE and AEW, the difference there is all elite wrestling's like a blank slate. So we're relegated to talking only about match quality and a few tidbits that we can pick up from these six to eight minute videos on YouTube. You know, that matters, the match quality, but AEW will need more. They'll need SCU versus Stronghearts to mean something in a six-man tag. They'll need the women to make an impression. And I'll need something to go on in order to talk coherently about something involving the women because I'm just vaguely familiar with who they are, um, all of them. I, I just don't know much about any of them. Sammy Guevara will need to step up and make a high-flying impression, and perhaps most of all of the non-really, I guess, call them top four matches, I think most of all um, 
it's going to be the battle royal that needs to make a good impression, combining elements of the traditional and the rumble versions. I think this will need to get AEW's first attempt at innovation and gimmick creation uh, off to a really nice start and leave us with a really positive memory. Really looks like a blast on paper, that match, but it has to be booked well. If people come out of it talking about words like cluster you-know-what or overbooked mess, then I think that's a failure to impress in a situation that promised to make a good impression, which is really a good way to put a nice bow on what the promotion itself needs to consider before go time next weekend. An impression is expected at AEW Double or Nothing, and not to deliver a positive one will be a failure. And fortunately, that's not the expectation. I expect a goodwill-building, forward-thinking night of superb wrestling. So enjoy it. Enjoy Money in the Bank tonight. Enjoy AEW Double or Nothing next Saturday. And I'm actually going to do a a review right after that show goes off the air. So you'll be able to check out the Doc Says podcast on the Chairshot Network. Just check it out wherever podcasts are available. Do just a search for the Chairshot and you'll you'll be able to find uh, the the new home for this podcast. But I'll be doing a, a, a live reaction show right after the show. And then it'll be posted at the wee hours of the morning. So those of you overseas um, will be able to get it pretty much right when you get up and and same thing for everybody here in in north america so thank you for joining me today uh check out all of the shows we have here on lop radio i will continue to support them it's been my home for many years and it's uh it's it's going to be a different a different challenge to to move on down the road but um you know i'll still have the guys on my show i expect them to be I expect to be on theirs from time to time as a guest. You know, we still have, we've got a a very good working relationship that's not going anywhere. So uh, next week, AEW Double or Nothing, live reactions, seeing what happens. Um, Catch you then. Thank you for joining me today. This is just what the doc ordered I'm saying welcome They sick of the other shows Chad here to help them The author of the mania era Is bringing terror on L.O.P. radio This is the prepare for the knowledge That he about to showcase Like a bar that you lift His opinions hold weight He wrote a few books And he's working on another for y'all This a five star podcast Chad let's get it on Author of the Wrestlemania era The 